I am glad to be alive, and I'm really excited to be here today with you uh, to worship and to honor our King. And, and I want to start off our time this, of study this morning by uh, uh, reading some powerful 3,000-year-old words that God breathed uh, that expressed the great passion that the psalmist had for the, for the words of God. And, and what we're going to do is, is I'm going to have you guys stand, and we're going to take turns reading um, from Psalm 119, these comes up on, what comes up on the screen. And remember, every time you hear the word commands or laws or precepts or instructions, it's talking about the word of God. And so if you guys would stand with me, and you guys get the first screen on the count of three. One, two, three. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. And your law, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Oh, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. I call with all my heart, answer me, Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we humbly come into your presence, God, and we thank you for this opportunity, God, to, to be in your house. Lord, help us to breathe out all the concerns and cares of the world um, and to breathe in you, breathe in your presence, God. God, I pray that your word, which is so powerful, God, will bring life to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. <laughs> uh, we're in week nine in, in our sermon series, Understanding the Bible. And currently, we're looking at various principles of hermeneutics, principles for interpreting and understanding God's word correctly, like God commanded in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. And remember that word uh, for do your best is just one word? Yeah. Spudazzo. Spudazzo. Make every effort, endure, labor, be diligent, exert oneself, use speed, make haste. A question, 
You know, do, do those words describe your relationship with reading and studying God's word? If your answer is yes, awesome, great job. Keep doing what you're doing. God is pleased. If your answer is no, why not? And how do you think God feels about that? And more importantly, what do you intend to do about that, right? Because we can change, right? I mean, today could be a new day. If you've not been passionate about the word, well, guess what? Every day the sun comes up and a brand new day begins. Amen? Uh, now, so far we talked about uh, two, two really crucial, essential principles of hermeneutics. And the first one was the principle of aim, the principle of the author's intended meaning. Uh, understand, any text you look at in the Bible means what the author intended it to mean, right? It doesn't matter what you think it means. It doesn't matter what our culture thinks it should mean because times have changed. It means what the author intended it to mean. And then we talked about context. And we said that context is what? King. Context is king. And that means that context must rule over our understanding of any passage of scripture. Context is king. Now we're going to wrap up this series next week. Um, it can't go on forever, right? It could go on forever. Uh, but we're going to wrap up by talking about some principles like the principle of priority, of consistency, of, of caution, of application, of obedience. And, and like I said before, you know, I have these handouts that have phenomenal resources, right? You know, that you can look at and, and, and that you can go deeper resources, websites where you can, where you can go for free and find out history of the Bible, great commentaries. And if you really want to go deeper, you know, I, I put in your notes, there's, there's two websites. You, you can listen to, uh, you can go to markmore.org um, and look at his lectures. Go to Principles of Interpretation. Uh, Mark Moore is like a really, really smart guy, right? And, and that's his classes right there. I mean, you, you, you see all those lectures? That's why we, this is going forever, right? But if you really want to understand this, Mark is a phenomenal teacher. Markmore.org. You can check it out. You can download the notebook. Phenomenal lectures. And there's another great teacher, my favorite teacher, another brilliant guy, um, Roger Chambers. You can go to faithfulpreaching.com. It has a, pictures of a bunch of different dudes. Go to Roger Chambers, click on classes, and then you'll see his hermeneutics. Right now, I'm taking this class right now all, all over again, right? This is great stuff. These guys are mega smart, and they're two of the best teachers that I know around anywhere on the New Testament and understanding it, right? So I want to give you guys tools to help you uh, understand this better. Now, this morning, I, I want to unpack two principles, the principle of observation and the principle of genre. Now, now understand Observation is a very basic and very important principle in understanding the Bible. Observation. In fact, it's foundational. Because the better the observation, the more accurate the interpretation, and the more correct the interpretation, the better the application. And listen, at its root, observation is about not forcing your ideas into the Bible, but rather letting the Bible speak for itself. Bottom line, when you study the Bible, don't be in such a hurry to say, here's what it means. Slow down, listen, think, 
pray, reflect, observe. You see, in a very real way, when you're studying the Bible, you're actually being a detective, right? That's what you're being. And so you grab your pen, you grab your notebook, you rope off the area, and you begin to observe the scene. We call that BSI, right? Your biblical scene investigation, right? Part of the BSI team. Yeah, I know, that's so weak. <laughs> and, and note that this is different than studying the Bible devotionally, right? Different. When, when I read the Bible devotionally, I don't worry about the stuff I don't understand. You know, I'll get that later when I study it. When I read it devotionally, I'm trying to listen, what does God want to say to me today? Like this morning, I was reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2 has got some crazy stuff in it, right? I'm not sure what it means. I didn't care this morning. I don't care what it means. I'll get to that later. I'll look at that later. But I, I definitely need to observe that a little bit more. Uh, but but what, God, I, what I think God wanted to say to me was in chapter 3, verse 13, where he said this, Dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Because I get tired. I don't know about you. I get tired of doing good sometimes. You know Why? Basically because I don't get to reward the results I was wanting, right? which is pretty lame, right? I'm doing good for results. I'm doing good for me. And that really encouraged me. Never get tired of doing good, right? Because you're doing good for God, right? So you don't give up. And, and that's what I pulled out of the scripture today. A lot of verses I didn't understand. There's a difference between Bible study and reading the Bible devotionally. I hope that makes sense. If not, um, get a hold of me this week. Okay, here's three keys to good observation. Number one, beware of your presuppositions. I'm talking about things you already think, know, or want to be true. <laughs> and we all have them, right? I mean, we all, anytime we come to the Bible, we all bring with us a, a bunch of baggage. And where does that baggage come from? It comes from people, right? From pastors, from teachers, from parents, from books. It comes from our culture. It comes from our life experiences. And it comes from our previous studying of a passage, right? For example, in Jesus' day, nearly every Jewish person had the same presupposition about the Messiah. That he would be a powerful earthly king who would establish a Jewish world empire. And who could blame them, right? I mean, living under foreign rule for centuries, being occupied by the Roman army, and being a thousand years removed from the glory days of David and Solomon, those things fueled this misunderstanding. But listen, this misunderstanding about the Messiah is one of the primary reasons that they murdered Jesus, right? Because he was not the Jesus that they wanted. This misunderstanding Messiah was, was why the Jews were so hard on Paul. Paul wrote these words in Acts chapter 28 from prison. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with these chains, right? He says, that's why I'm bound with this chain, because of the hope of Israel. A second key, observe the text, then explain it. And that's hard for us, right? Because we want to get straight to the bottom line. It, especially if we studied that passage before and we think we got it all figured out. <laughs> I know what this sucker means. Been there, done that. For example, we can read maybe Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham sacrifices his son Isaac. Right? And immediately we run to this very legitimate and intended comparison. Hey, that's just like God sacrificing his son Jesus for us. Right? 
But when we do that, we're bypassing the crucial step of observation. And we're probably going to miss something important. In fact, what we're doing is we're claiming that we have, have solved the case before we've even pulled out our notebook and roped off the area. Remember, we're detectives. And, and for years, you know what I do? Genesis 1 2, I, I would run straight to, I know what this is about. It's a picture of God and Jesus. Except Jesus, there was no ram in the thicket. <clears throat> Jesus had to go all the way. Totally true stuff. But one thing I missed for years was, was something that was Abraham said in verse 5 of that very chapter. He said to a servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Next three words, we will worship. I don't know about you, but I don't carry a knife and firewood ready to kill my kid when I'm going to worship. We will worship, and then we'll come back to you. You know, like, like, like what, what is that teaching us about worship? And that's the very first time the word worship is used in the entire Bible. Well, what, what's going on here? Well, this brings us to the third key to observation, ask a lot of questions, right? Those of us who grew up in the 70s, there were, my favorite detective was Lieutenant Columbo, right? Anybody remember Lieutenant Columbo? Dude, man, he, 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 he acted like he didn't know what was going on, but he knew what was going on. Had that trench coat, beat up car. He's asking all these questions. I got one more question for you. Ask a lot of questions. Who's speaking? Who's he speaking to? When is this being spoken? Where is it being spoken? What's the circumstances? What, what's going on? What's the main subject of the text? Who, who are the key characters in the passage? What, what is this passage trying to reveal about God? What is this passage revealing about the salvation we have in Christ? What does it reveal about the life that God desires us to live? Ask questions. And, and look, for, look for key words. Look, look for repeated words and phrases. Look for commands, look for warnings, look for comparisons, look for contrasts, look for promises, look for prayers to be prayed. And all, all that stuff's in your notes, by the way. All those questions that you're to look for, that's observation. Good observation looks and keeps looking. What's going on here? Am, am I missing something? Yeah, and, and ask a lot of questions. See, God commands you to do your best, spadazzo, right, to handle, God work, to handle God's word correctly. And when you take aim and shoot for the author's intended meaning, when you make context to king, and, and when, you, when you practice good observation, and when you both understand and work within the principle of genre, you will handle the word of truth correctly. Now, the word genre is a French word that basically means a category or a classification. I'll be honest, when I first heard this word many years ago, kind of scared me. I was like, what does this genery thing have to do with anything, right? I mean, hey, first time I quoted liver pate in a sermon, I said liver paint, right? Okay, so I'm thinking, this, this genery thing is way above me, right? I, I, I got a fisherman's mentality. Don't bring me no genery and liver paint, right? I, I don't do that kind of stuff, right? But I kind of get over that over the years, right? And it's a good thing because you see it all the time, right? People talk about, hey, what's your favorite music genre? What's your favorite movie genre? And when you walked in Barnes and Nobles, the books are divided by various what? Genres, right? And the Bible, right? In these 66 books, we have all kinds of different genres. 
And I'm going I'm to talk about some of the main ones in just a minute. And listen, the writers of scriptures were very aware of the different types of genres that were in use in their time. And they chose a very specific one in order to communicate the message they were trying to communicate. And not only that, they expected the people reading it to understand the genre that they were using. And we get that, right? I mean, if I wrote a poem, I would not want you to read that as a legal document, right? If I wrote a history paper, I, I, I wouldn't want you to discount my thoughts for not being poetic. And like when I watch a, when I watch a, the genre, the genre, I watch a, a science fiction genre, I don't expect things to be like real. If people come back from the dead, I'm okay. And I'm, some movies I've seen recently, I'm sure hoping they do because it really broke my heart <laughs> as the movie went on. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Wow, that, that destroyed me. What is going on here? Right? And so David was very specific, right? With the sin with Bathsheba, he said, you know, I, I'm going to choose the genre in Psalm 51. I want to choose poetry, right? And again, we get that. We use different types of languages to write a grocery list, right? A report for work, right? That's a little bit different. A letter to an attorney. I mean, is your grocery, I hope not, if, it's, if it is, it's not working. I mean, the way you write a grocery list should be different than the way you write a love note to your spouse, right? Should be different, right? I mean, I don't know, bullet points, and it may not work that way, right? And each genre carries a certain expectation. For example, when you hear, once upon a time, you're expecting something, right? When you hear something like, to all persons, let it be known that I, William Smith, of 1313 Mockingbird Lane, Frankenberry, New York, the undersigned principal, do hereby grant. What are you expecting? A bunch of stuff you'll never understand, written by lawyers, right? Okay. But well, here are, I want to talk about the 10 different genres, okay? And I have on my great resource table, I have this handout here. And what it has, it has the various genres, their characteristics, and some keys for interpreting them. You can actually cut this up, stick it in your Bible. Uh, I downloaded this from Mark Moore's uh, notebook on his website for, for the Bible. Um, probably the best book you can get on different genres is this one right here, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth uh, by um, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Uh, they, they've revised this a couple times, the new edition's even better, but it goes into great detail about the various genres. And, and I, I got to hit these quick, but I, I woke up this morning at, at 4.30, and, and you ever wake up, you're thinking like, okay, you, you, you go, I'm grabbing my phone, I'm thinking, please let there be more time to sleep, right? And I look at it, and I go, sweet, I was getting up at 5.15, and it was only 4.26, this is great. But, but then I, I lay back down in bed and, and I'm like, started thinking about the message and thinking about talking about different genres. And, and I gotta be honest, I, I'm like, I don't want it to seem like a list. You know, like, like I didn't want this, to, I don't want this to be boring. Like, all right, we got this genre and this genre and this genre. Cause I mean, we're talking about like God's word and, and God's word is so awesome and so incredible. So I, I couldn't sleep. I got up, you know. <laughs> Wanted to get coffee, funny story. Wanted to get coffee because uh, uh, when, when I mailed away for my coffee for Starbucks, 
it said Starbucks coffee on it from Amazon, open it up, it was packaged as sugar, right? And like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. So I'm out of coffee. So I went to get coffee, get home, realized I didn't take the right keys, and I locked myself out of the house. <laughs> so it's like not quite five o'clock in the morning, and it's like, you know, the last person I called would be my wife. I'd stay in the garage before I wake my wife up. So I called Leela, then I called Chelsea, and she, I mean, not Chelsea, I always get them mixed up. Uh, called May Lee. Chelsea wouldn't work. She's in Indiana. And they opened the door for me. All right. But I, I, here's a different genres. I, I, and I don't want it to be boring. Okay? The Gospels, right? Oh, my goodness. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? I mean, they, they, they tell the story of Jesus, right? His earthly life. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic. It means seeing together. You know, they, they talk about the same things. And, and John's kind of out there on his own telling a different story, a more personal look at Jesus. But, like, if, if, if you want to know what God is like, right, the Gospels, I mean, that's God the flesh and the body right there, right? I mean, you know, and, and most scholars believe that Matthew had an audience primarily was written to the Jews. That's why he quotes a lot of Old Testament prophecy. You know, Mark was written primarily to, they think, to the, a Roman audience. Hey, get to the point, you know, bold, to the point. And fast, right? Matthew's still in his genealogy, and Jesus is baptizing people, and they're almost on the cross by the time you know, Matthew's done saying, and so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. Uh, Luke was primary to a Greek audience, right? Very polished Greek, John, universal, or, or, a, or a Gentile audience. And, and the whole point of it, the Gospels are, is to, is to talk about Jesus and, and the, his death, burial, and resurrection, Right? And to talk about this kingdom that he came to establish, this, this kingdom where we, where we turn the other cheek, right? This kingdom where we, where we go the second mile, this kingdom where we forgive those who hurt us 70 times, seven times, right? This kingdom where, where the greatest people are, are, the, are the ones who serve. This, this kingdom where people live like, hey, I'm going to do for other people the things I wish that they would do for me, right? And, and that's, that's the gospel. So as you read those things, look for that stuff. And, and next you have the epistles, right? It just means letters. And, and these, were, these were letters that were written you know, to, but by, by an author to a specific audience, usually to deal with, with stuff that was going on in that individual's life, like Timothy or Titus, right, or Philemon, right, or, or that was going on in, in the various churches that they wrote to. And they were never tended to be an exhaustive, systematic list of doctrines, right? They're dealing with specific issues, right? And they're different than private letters because they were meant to be read out loud, which is kind of crazy because sometimes Paul called people out by name, right? Uh, the church in Philippi, right? Yeah, you know, a lady named Synthike, I can't remember the other lady, Chloe and Synthike, right? Hey, would you tell those all to get along? Be like, oh, I say, hey, if, would you tell, you know, um, Ginger and, and, and Bath to get along, right? You know, it's right, right there in church. They, they're reading that, right? Um, you know, but it, they dealt with certain issues and and one thing, if you can find out, like, hey, you, and you want to read the whole letter when you're studying it. Read the whole letter all at once, right? Asking questions, writing things down. Try to figure, hey, what was behind this letter being written, right? Like when you read Galatians and you find out, hey, that was written because, you know, there's a bunch of people trying to put the law back on people's back. And, 
that helps you understand, you know, what is going on. And the epistles, more than anything else, we can really apply to our lives because it was written to churches and Christians who were trying to figure out how do we live? How do we live as the, as the body of Christ in this world? And next we have poetry, the Psalms. You got to love the Psalms, right? The Psalms are like, like really incredible. And they deal with emotions, right? Joy, sorrow, pain, anger, betrayal, fear, depression, celebration, hope. I mean, any emotion you ever felt, they're right there in the Psalms. You know, I don't know about you, I go to the Psalms a lot. <laughs> you know, if I'm angry at my enemies, I go to those, something, those Psalms where David says, smash my, my enemy, break their teeth, right? Burn their house, kill their dog, whatever it is, right? I, I read those, right? You know, but they're Psalms of celebration, of praise, and of joy that deal with human emotions. And, but one thing we have to understand is, they're not meant to be where we get doctrine from, right? We don't get, they're not, their primary function is not doctrine. And it's good to read them aloud. I don't know about you, when you read aloud, it, it, it makes a difference. Like Psalm 42, 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I, would put, I will put my hope in God, my Savior and my God. Right? You read them out loud. The next genre is historical narrative. All right? Over 40% of the Old Testament is historical narrative, right? It's just stories, right? Great stories, Right? Great stories are written down for us to, to teach us some things. Paul writes, these things happen to them as examples and written down as warnings for us with whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay, they don't necessarily teach doctrine, but many times they illustrate doctrine. And one of the things I think it's good to do, to look at the characters. Take one story, you take... David and Goliath, right? And, and look at the main characters from Saul to uh, David's brothers, rest of Israel and David. And what do they model about what a follower of God should be and should not be, right? And, and, and you write those things down and, and you, try to, you try to learn from them. And, and next is prophecy. Right? There's 17 books of the Bible that are prophecy. And here, here's the main theme. Is calling God's people back to himself because they're breaking his covenant. Did you know that only less than 2% of the writing of the Old Testament prophecy is messianic? Less than 5% is dealing with the new covenant age. Less than 1% is predicting future events, which means 92% of all prophecy is just solid preaching, telling God's people where they're messing up and calling them to come home. And it's good to take the prophecy, right? If you read Kings and Chronicles, you can place that prophet within his historical context. I like this verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 16, 16. God's people are wandering away, going their own way. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 6, 16. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Walk in its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no. That's not the road we want. 
right? That's how they're living. But God said, hey, look, look how you could be living. Look how things could be different. And they say, no, we want to go our own way and we want to do our own thing. Then you have the books of wisdom, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They deal with real issues of life. Job, pain and hardships. Ecclesiastes, the meaning of life. Song of Solomon, love. Proverbs, how, how, how to deal with our relationships between each other. And our sin, they, they tell probable truths how life generally works out, right? They're, they're not promises, they're probabilities. And, and the best summary of, of the wisdom literature, I think, is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This old guy like me, <laughs> looking back on his life, saying, man, it just didn't work out. It was kind of meaningless. And he says, that's the whole story. <laughs> Good, the bad, and the ugly. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is a whole duty of man. He said, hey, this is it. Let me summarize it. Everything you're thinking about doing, I did and done more, done most. And here's my conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments. And then you got the law. You know, the law of Moses. And, and the best thing that applies to us is, is that it teaches us how much God wants his people to be different than the world around them. How much God desires holiness and the efforts that God will go to to allow sinful people to be able to approach him. Some laws were renewed, right? Like, love God, love your neighbor, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Some were not, but every law you can look at, find the principle behind the law, and usually be able to apply it to our lives. Acts is, is, records the, the birth and incredible growth of the old church. We see how the early church lived. We see what they did, how they interacted with each other. The things they were devoted to, right? The apostles' teaching, the prayer, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. Uh, it's the only book in the entire 66 books where we see people coming to Jesus Christ for salvation, right? And we see them believing, repenting, confessing, and, and being baptized into Christ. And, and then we have a, apocalyptic literature, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Matthew 24, and Revelation. And, and this is highly figurative. And, and the main message is God's judging the ungodly and wanting to give hope to his people. And many times it'll use things, language like, the stars fell from the sky, the moon is melting, it's all dark, and the sun no longer gives its light, right? And we read that with 21st century eyes, we think it's talking about the end of the world. But we read it like they would read it, it's like, oh no, God's fixing to put the hurt on some nation, right? He's about to judge Egypt, he's about to judge Moab, he's about to judge Edom, he's about to judge Babylon, he's about to judge Jerusalem for killing his son. And finally we have the, the parables. And Jesus told a bunch of parables. Parables are stories, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The word parable, parable means the cast alongside of. You know, um, God's truth is cast alongside of a, 
of a, of a good story. Okay, uh, you know, parables are, all the parables are, are, are about the kingdom. And they usually have one core message. They're not an allegory, like an allegory, like everything has a meaning to it. Usually a parable, hey, he's trying to drive home one point. Many times the parables were prompted by something that happened, right? Like in Luke 12, uh, a guy comes up and says, hey, my dad gave all my money to my brother. Tell him to give me some. And then Jesus tells a parable about the rich fool who was rich in the things of the world and was not rich in God. And, and, and I want to tell a parable right now. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And uh, anybody know a parable in Luke chapter 10? Anybody? Good Samaritan. All right. Um, is there any, what's the context for this parable? What prompted Jesus to tell this parable? An expert in the law comes to Jesus, right? And, and he asks a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He looks at this expert in the law and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. A plus, Mr. Lawyer Man. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And now why do you think he asked this question, who's my neighbor? Now there's basically two words for neighbor. One means those who are nearby and close. The other means my fellow countrymen, basically. And this guy chose those who are near and close. You see, this guy wanted to love as few people as possible. This guy, he wanted to keep his circle really, really small. And Jesus was like, okay, you, you want to keep your circle small? Go ahead, keep it small. But just know that wherever you go, you got to take your circle with you. And he tells this parable that we, that we know. Uh, rather than telling the parable you've heard before, I like to tell a, a story that contextualizes this parable. It's a true story. A friend of mine, I heard him tell it the other day. He was talking about a college friend of his who was a professor at college, and he would go around with travel teams over the summer. And they'd stay at, sing at different churches and stay at different homes. And, and some homes were like rich homes where like, you know, we got our own rooms, we got a pool, we're eating, we're eating good stuff, and some were not so good. So it was like a crapshoot every time you went somewhere. And he talked about this time, he, he went to this house, and it was obviously, it was, it was a poor. These people were very poor, didn't have a whole lot. And you know, he knew he wouldn't get his own room. He wouldn't be eating high off the hog. And they're sitting around the dinner table, and he asks the guy a question like, um, what do you do for a living? He said, I got a new job. And he starts talking about his new job, and how he's excited about his new job. And he said, well, what about, what did you do before? He says, well, I, I was laid off for a really long time, months and months, and it got hard. You know, they turned the power off. Uh, they turned the water off. Uh, they turned our phone off. 
And then the professor said, it really must have been a blessing to be a part of the church and have the church help you through this. He said, well, actually, they didn't. He says, we asked them for help, but they were in the middle of this building campaign and they, they couldn't help us financially, they said. But our neighbor did. Now, you wouldn't like our neighbor, he said. You know, they're, they're loud, obnoxious, non-Christians. They, they cuss all the time. They're always drinking beer in, in the front yard. They're squealing out of their driveway. I don't want to let my kids play out front because I'm afraid they're going to get hurt. You wouldn't like them at all. And he said that one night they were eating their last can of green beans. Again, true story. Couldn't heat it up because they had no power. They hear a pounding on the door. Boom, 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 boom. It's their neighbor. He has an extension cord in his hand. <laughs> he goes, what's this for? Well, you can't live without power, can you, damn it? And he goes back to his house. <laughs> Who was more neighborly? See, that's the point of his parable, right? You know, that, that those who should have helped didn't. And, and the world did. You know, we're to take our compassion circle with us wherever we go. You know, and we're going to take a few minutes right now. You know, Compassion Sunday's coming up, right? You know, coming up on September the 23rd. Opportunities at Advancing Native Missions to work in a warehouse, right? These people support 8,000 missionaries all around the world. And that warehouse has supplies they send the people in need, refugees, you name it, right? That's one job over there. Another job is doing some landscaping and cleaning in the office. You go to A&M, you walk through those doors, you're immediately blessed. They're like the most spiritual people I've ever met in my life. That's one of the projects you can sign up for. The other is the laurels, right? You know, people who maybe see their family, maybe they don't see their family, right? You know, I... To be honest, I would never want to have to live in a room in a nursing home. You know, I don't know what God's plan is for me, but that would be hard. And so there were people going visiting the residents, painting fingernails. You know, there's a group that's going to be singing some songs to cheer them up, right? Um, there's going to be uh, taking baskets to the people who work there. Pretty thankless job, I, I would think. You know, um, pregnancy center, Right? You know, we want people to, to keep their babies, right, and not have an abortion. And, and, and we support the pregnancy center where they're moving to a bigger office, right? And so we're going to help them move that office and, and do some cleaning, right? And, and we're also doing a diaper drive, right? We're going to take, you know, diapers are very expensive. I praise the Lord when I got to pass that aisle when my kids were little. Praise God for all blessings flow. I'm not going that aisle ever again, you know. And I pray for you who have to walk up that aisle. You know, um, Love, Inc. There's various projects at, at Love, Inc. And we're not sure exactly what those projects are going to be, right? But it's usually like helping someone clean their house, right? You know, and, and various things like that. Ronald McDonald House is, is our fifth project, right? You know, these are people who are staying at, at a place because their child is very sick and, and may get better or may not get better. And we're going to go there, and, and, and some people are going to cook a meal for them, right? A lunch or dinner, right? And, and some people are going to, hey, whatever they need. Maybe some 
you know, yard work outside, some cleaning inside. But we're, we're going to show compassion that day. And, and, and my goal is not, well, let's have 50. I think there's something every one of us can do a little bit of, right? You can help cook. You can go over to Laura's for a little bit, right? It'd be great if every single one of us, and we invite other people to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to take a few minutes where we can sign up for the various projects. Would you guys stand? And there will be leaders at each table to probably explain it better than I did. Uh, God, we love you. God, help us to be a people who show compassion. And God, I, I pray right now, every one of us, Lord, you know, have had hard times in their life where someone reached out to us. And God, I pray right now that you'll help us to figure out what project that you want us to be a part of. God, whether it's painting fingernails or singing or just visiting people at the laurels, God. God, God, whether it's at A&M helping to organize a warehouse that has supplies that will go overseas to people who need them so desperately. Whether it's cooking a meal at Ronald McDonald House, Lord, for people who are eating out of canned goods or far away from their own home. Their main concern right now is just their child. Will, he, will that, their son or daughter make it, God? Lord, I, I, I pray that you would just guide us again, Lord, to the right project, Lord, whether it's Love, Inc. and helping those in, in our, our community, Lord, who, who need it so much, whether it's a pregnancy center, God, whatever it is. God, we be a church, God, that lives our faith outside of these walls so our world knows that indeed you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the clock is ticking. You got seven minutes. Go to the various stations. Okay. Hey, we're going to be having these sign-ups for the, uh, the next few weeks. And remember, the way that, that Sunday, a look on the 23rd is we will we'll come to church at 8.30, sing a song, pray, communion, offering, and then we'll head off to our, to our various work sites. Um, before we sing this last song, um, there, there's a psalm... Um, that I'd like, like to read um, to you guys. It, it's the last one in my, my notes for my slide people who really are wonderful people. It's Psalm 3. And, and uh, in the context uh, of the psalm, sometimes the psalms have a context and let you know what's going on. And, and you know, David is fleeing Jerusalem. He's fleeing his son Absalom. You know, his son Absalom has come into the city, you know, has done a coup against his own dad. And David is weeping. His people are weeping as they leave the city, you know. And David wrote this psalm in response to that. Feeling a lot of emotions. If you ever had to flee something you thought you were supposed to stay or something, uh, that's kind of the context here. And um, he writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Saleh. And Saleh, a lot of different possible meanings, but I think it, one of the meanings is this, hey, stop thinking, pause about what you just read. Lord, how many are my foes? Ever felt that way? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Saleh, 
but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I called out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain, Saleh. I lay down and sleep, awake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Come on. <laughs> For the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Saleh. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Saleh. Yeah, every week at Maple Grove, we, we do communion. And we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to sing this song. It's a new song. Um, it's a good song. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, at about 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm on my back porch listening to it. And, and the bridge in it wrecked me, man. It's like I just started crying. And, and, and I texted my brother up here. I said, hey, we need to do this song after the message. You know, I think it would be a better place. And, and it's, a, it's a really good song. It's a new one. It's about God being our defender, about God being there for us, about God being a defender of our heart, right? You know, and about God saving us, about how his way is the, the way it should be, and, and a really great song. And when the song is over, we'll go take communion. Remember, that's off to the, the sides there. If you're new to us, we have the two cups where the cracker is on, on the bottom. We take our offering to the side as well. We have these little buckets where we drop in money that will help us on Compassion Sunday. Um, if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing this song. Father God, we love you. And God, thank you for being our defender. Thank you for being that shield around us. Thank you for being the love that sustains us. Thank you for being the hope, Lord, that, that never, never fades. And God, I pray that right now as we sing the song, Lord, that we'll worship you. And, and God... Lord, if, if we're in a difficult place, we'll know that, that you're here with us. And Lord, that you're the one who saves, that you are the one who delivers, that you are the one who defends us. In Jesus' name, amen.